Thank you for joining me in another episode of my podcast, Until Divorce Do Us Part. My name is Finest and I'm a divorce coach, life coach and mom to two fantastic kids. On this podcast, we'll be talking about all things divorce and life lessons. Today, we'll be discussing the seven common financial mistakes people make during divorce. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after this. Welcome back and thank you for joining me in another episode. This will be part one of two of my episodes about common divorce mistakes. Part one will be the financial component of common mistakes made during the divorce process. And part two will be the emotional component of common mistakes people make during the divorce process. I thought it was better to split it up into two parts because there are definitely two separate components to the common mistakes you'll make during divorce. And I thought I would start with the financial component because that one will affect the second part, which is the emotional side of divorce. I'll begin by saying that under the best of circumstances, divorce is not an easy process, whether the divorce is a quote unquote good or bad divorce and whether or not you have an attorney or not. But if you proceed with caution, you can avoid some of the common mistakes that can not only waste time and increase stress, but cost you in the long run, both financially and emotionally. Financially, with losses from not doing your due diligence during the divorce, to emotionally being drained by the entire process, potentially costing you your health and relationship with your family and children. I can't tell you how many people talk about their divorce as if it happened yesterday years after the divorce has been finalized. So the common financial mistakes that I'll be talking about today is not an all-inclusive list, but definitely makes my top seven. So preparing yourself to avoid common mistakes should be a critical part of the divorce planning process so you can make informed decisions to protect your interests and future well-being. It's hard looking into a crystal ball now for later, but that's exactly what you have to do, no matter how good or how bad your relationship with your spouse is. And please don't forget that the risk for mistakes exists at all stages of the divorce process. So don't kick yourself for missing a few things here and there along the way. Just remember that everything is a lesson and sometimes the lesson comes at a price. I know many don't want to pay the price, nor do I, but sometimes someone has to pay. So the first common mistake is to avoid seeking legal counsel. This is a tough one because we all know that attorneys are expensive, but avoiding that first consultation with an attorney is a big no-no. An attorney can help you understand your rights to ensure that your rights are protected. Typically, the initial consultation is free and it can last anywhere, depending on the attorney, from 30 minutes to an hour. As I've said in my first podcast, Introduction to Divorce Coaching, which you may want to listen to again if you haven't already, Write a list of questions you have, the most important questions you have, so the attorney can give you some insight as to what position you're in and where you stand. Do not, do not use this free consultation to engage in emotional speak, which is talking about how bad your ex was and what a loser they are. This is the time to really garner as much information as you can. It will be the last time, trust me, it's the last time it will be free. 
they more than likely won't get too in-depth with the information. Remember, it's only 30 minutes to an hour. So get your list together and make sure the most important questions are at the top so you can get to those first. I'll repeat, leave your emotions at the door before you go in to see the attorney. You can always pick them up after you leave. The attorney will let you know if your ship has sailed for certain things to be rectified because most things that happen during marriage that you should have been aware of are considered past marital issues that cannot be addressed now during the divorce. For example, I went into court with the fact that my ex has spent cash that we kept for a rental property in a safe deposit box. And I ended up having to prove that it was not spent for the sake of the community or for the benefit of the community. Apparently, anything spent for the benefit of the community, which is for the family, is considered for the benefit of the family. Of course, my ex said it was spent for the benefit of the community, had no documents to prove it, got away with it anyway. We're just saying that statement, it was for the benefit of the community. So just know that not every event that happened without your knowledge in the marriage can be rectified in court. I know I was completely blindsided by this knowledge. So I'm sharing it with you so you don't make the same mistake. So go seek legal advice to see where you stand. Minimally, you know if you have a leg to stand on or if your legs were kicked out from under you. Being in the dark is not where you want to be. The second mistake that you can make is while you're in the marriage, not having a separate account outside of the joint account you share with your partner. Just remember, if you have community money, such as employment income, rental income that you both own, for example, and you have that in your separate account, it really counts as joint community property during the divorce because it was funded by community resources. However, if it's funds you received from a separate source, such as an inheritance or gift, for example, that's your separate money and you don't need to put that into your joint account. I'm not trying to tell anybody to hide an account on the side. This is to have some financial independence if something happens, such as divorce. This is especially critical if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad where you don't feel entitled to know what the finances are because your job doesn't have a W-2 or a steady flow of income into the account. This way, if divorce does happen, you'll have your own account that you know what's in there. If you need a retainer for an attorney or rent for an apartment, you'll have it in there and don't need to race to the bank to withdraw money that may or may not be there. That happens more often than not. By the time you get to the bank, the other person has withdrawn all the money and there's nothing left in there for you. Sometimes the other party, before divorce has even been a discussion, have already opened a separate account without you knowing and started to divert funds into that separate account. So you're left with nothing tangible. Again, this happened to me. I hate to say it, but it did. My ex started diverting his, what he considered his income into a separate account and lied to me about why his paycheck was short and why that money didn't go into the account. Meanwhile, the joint account was left with nothing in it. That's why I'm saying it's sometimes good to have your own financial independence aside from the joint account so that if something does happen, then you know how much you have in there. And hopefully it's enough for an apartment that equals at least a year's worth of rent, utilities, clothes, food, gas, cell phone bill. It covers your entire month's expenses for at least a year so that if something does happen, you'll at least have a year to figure it out, or at least you'll have 
a roof over your head and your kids and you'll have food on the table and you'll have some stability while you try to find a job to supplement that money. So there's still something coming in so you're not feeling the frantic pace of divorce. It can be a long wait for your ex to dole out spousal and child support because divorce does something to people where they don't even want to support their own children. And so as a result of that, you're left waiting and then your debt is increasing and the bills are piling up while you're waiting for the court to decide how much your ex will be paying in support, when they're supposed to pay and will they pay? And that's even if the court determines if they have to pay support at all. Then you have to go through the process of waiting for the Department of Child Support to get around to garnishing wages if you know who their employer is to garnish the wages. I'm just saying to be ready, okay? So this separate account should have a year's worth of money and you do not touch this money for any reason. So if your marriage stays together and if you guys are great, you know you'll still have that cash on hand for emergencies. It's like you can call it an emergency fund. Dave Ramsey talks about it. Susie Orman talks about it. They're financial advisors. They talk about having emergency funds. So you can use it as an emergency just in case you lose a job or money becomes a little scarce, then you have that to tap into. Either way, it's a great idea to have that separate money in an account, whether it's for selfish reasons, which is if something happens, you're not scampering around looking and begging for money for divorce. And if something doesn't happen, it's an emergency fund. It's a great backup plan. And make sure you increase whatever is in this account every year, a certain percentage to account for the increase in the cost of living. So for example, if an apartment this year for a two bedroom, one bathroom in LA is $2,500 a month, increase the amount you have in this account by the percentage that a landlord can increase it each year. So if rent can be increased 10% each year, increase that 30,000 that you have in your separate account, which is $2,500 per month times 12 months, increase that an additional $3,000 each year, which is 10% of the 30,000. What you're looking to do is to keep up with rental prices and have enough for first and last month's rent and all of your other necessary expenses. The reason I say this is because there's a lot of people that come out of divorce with nothing. The one who was the breadwinner may believe that their money is their money, whether you're married or not. So what do you do in the meantime? Wait for them to give you something? Again, some people may disagree with this, but I don't think protecting yourself is a problem. It shouldn't be an issue. And if it's an issue with your partner, then I'd say they have a problem with you potentially being self-sufficient. And no one should want someone to lack independence, even in marriage, in my opinion. So the third mistake relates to the second mistake, but the third mistake is not having a complete picture of your finances. Do you have the tax returns from the last two years? Do you have the checking account statements, retirement accounts, yours and his credit report, safety deposit key, along with documentation of all the contents? Do you have an accurate value of your assets? Do you know which ones are marital property? Which ones are separate? Get your own independent valuation, not someone that your spouse hired, especially if it's complicated like real estate, a business, a pension, or other retirement accounts. 
Once you have the complete financial picture, you can avoid the mistake of arguing over one asset at a time. You can get your fair share of the value of all of your assets minus the debts. How much is your retirement account worth for purposes of your divorce? What about your business? What about other assets such as vacation homes, collections, jewelry? If you were lucky enough, boats and antique vehicles. If you don't know the true value of these assets, you will simply be guessing as to what constitutes an equitable distribution in your divorce. It's important to understand the value of these assets so that you can develop a financial plan and budget moving forward following your divorce. Do not be the one sitting at home surrounded by financial documents now and not have a copy. I'm telling you, you will regret it in the courtroom. There are so many people who were in charge of the money that do not want to give you one piece of paper showing any financials during divorce. Or what they'll do is they'll pick and choose what information they want to give to you and hide the rest. And then it's up to you to then hire an expensive forensic attorney to figure out where are these hidden assets. So during divorce, there's a process called production of documents where you ask the other party to produce documents that you request and they should produce those documents in order for you to have a fair divorce. You know, equitable distribution. But you'll be requesting those documents until God comes and more than likely end up asking for sanctions, which you may or may not get for the withholding of the information. Or you just move on in order to get the divorce process over with without really knowing how much money you've left on the table. So again, you are a community during marriage and the community should know about every facet that makes the community work. It should never be a one-sided community if it concerns two people. So make sure both parties have equal access to the financials and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, which leads me to the fourth mistake. The fourth mistake is thinking that your name shouldn't be on important financial documentation. Some spouses try to justify not adding their partner's name on real estate titles, checking and savings accounts, rental leases, etc. And there might be justification to doing that, such as your partner has gone through bankruptcy or has a mountain of debt, which would disqualify your family from owning real estate. And if that's the case, seek the advice of an attorney, your own independent attorney to see what your options are in case of divorce. The last thing you want to do is to put into the family home and have no equity in the family home at the time of divorce or have no say in the sale and proceeds of the family home during your divorce. If you don't protect yourself from the outset, you will cost yourself more in terms of time and money during the divorce in hiring the forensic accountant as well as an attorney. I did something that I consider nuts these days. I didn't have keys to the rental property I co-owned with my ex. Not only that, I did not sign the lease for the tenants for that property as I trusted him. So at the time of my separation, not only was my name not on the lease for the tenants, which made it difficult for them to decide who they were going to pay rent to. But also, I did not have keys to the property when it came time for me to move out of the family home and into the rental property. I ended up basically having to break in. Not basically, I ended up having to break into my own property. I can't tell you how embarrassing this was for me. You know, my tenant watching me break into my own property without a key. So, Always, always, always. If you're a community, have your name on all important 
documents. You take the value and you take the risks. So the fifth mistake is ignoring the possibility of hidden assets. Hopefully you're not in the situation where there's a fear of hidden assets that should be addressed, but you should be on the lookout for signs that your spouse might be trying to hide assets. For instance, when your spouse isn't fully forthcoming or cooperative when you start asking for financial records or other details. Another sign is when you see unexplained withdrawals or other transactions in your joint accounts. When there's inconsistencies or red flags in your tax returns over the last few years, you can't access accounts online or are no longer receiving statements at home because your spouse has changed the password or address that might signal that they have a PO box or the mail is going to a family member or a friend. Jewelry, art or other valuable personal property has disappeared. Your spouse hasn't received expected bonuses or commissions, which could be a result of attempts to delay payments until after the divorce or final separation. Your spouse's income has recently declined, which might have resulted from attempts to manipulate and hide that income. And likewise, with owning their own business, an unexplained decline in revenue and an increase in expenses or a change in business structure. If you're worried, that your spouse might be trying some financial okie-doke, also known as an attempt to screw you over during the divorce process, you can ask the judge to issue a restraining order. As a matter of fact, there should be an automatic restraining order prohibiting either spouse from selling, transferring, or otherwise disposing of assets or taking on new debt without authorization from the other spouse. California automatically includes these orders in all divorce cases, but I'm pretty sure not many follow this rule. And some people attempt to do these things before the divorce filing. So doing your due diligence is key here because unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who are hiding assets, sometimes while you're still married, and sometimes it starts after separation. I'm going to say this, if the plan is to get divorced and to start your new life, don't steal from your old partner to start your new life. It's a short-term win for long-term karma. I'm just saying. So start a fresh life with clean hands. So the sixth mistake you can make is underestimating your post-divorce expenses. It's expensive to have or maintain two households than a combined one. However, too many people underestimate their post-divorce living expenses. So you need to come up with a solid, realistic budget in order to negotiate fair agreements about property division, alimony, and child support. There are so many who negotiate without knowing what their expenses will be and believing that settling for a few years of spousal support will be sufficient and giving up the right to extend spousal support after it ends. Some settle just to get the divorce over with, and we all know how fast two years can go by, so do not underestimate your expenses. So fighting to keep the family home or other assets you can't afford might not be the right thing to do, depending on your financial situation. Many couples have fights over who gets a family home after the divorce, and these usually are from emotional attachments to the house or an assumption that the primary custodial parent should keep the home for the sake of the kids. But you shouldn't let these considerations get in the way of a clear financial assessment. Can you afford a home? Can you afford the house? Do you make enough money that will allow you to buy out your ex? which will involve refinancing to get your ex's name off the title. 
Can you afford the ongoing expenses of owning the family home? A home is a major cash expense with mortgage payments, property taxes, homeowner's insurance, which seems to be creeping up everywhere. Can you afford repairs, utilities, a gardener? A CPA will be your best friend during this time. So make sure you get one so you know what your tax consequences will be of owning the home and if you decide to sell. Will you have a huge tax burden for having the home or if you can afford to keep it? You may not like the answer, but at least you'll understand the answer. You might consider continuing to co-own the family home for a period of time after the divorce, but that option has risks as well. What if one decides not to pay or the one who's living in the home trashes it and makes the value of it less or you have to now spend money to fix it up? Sometimes it's better to just have a clean slate without being tethered to your ex. And let's talk about the family pet. You might decide you want to keep the family pet, but can you afford the vet bills and other costs associated with keeping the pet? I know most say the pet is family, and I understand that, but when it comes down to whether you and your kids eat, it's kind of a no-brainer for me. So the bottom line is your main focus in settlement negotiations should be to make sure you'll have enough cash for living expenses after you divorce. And the seventh and final mistake is failing to identify your separate property and keeping it separate during the marriage. California is a community property state. And that means that while most of the assets you and your spouse acquire during marriage are subject to 50-50 distribution in your divorce, most of the assets acquired before your marriage is not. There are some assets that are acquired during the marriage, which is not community property, such as gifts, inheritances, workers' comp claims, for example, just to name a few. So some of these assets are considered separate and are yours to keep and spend as you like. If you want to buy a property using separate monies, it's your property, not community property. Of course, there are stipulations to this, such as not using joint monies to pay for separate property expenses, because then that makes a bit of a mess come time to separating the assets. So you don't want to use joint community funds to pay for separate property bills or costs. But failing to identify separate assets is one of the most common divorce mistakes because you think it was our money when it was in fact your money. You're better off opening a separate account only in your name with those monies and not commingling it with community monies, as I mentioned in mistake number two. I know some women might say it's easier just to put it into the joint account, but how many men own a home prior to marriage and add their wives' names to the title? I don't think too many. Some men don't even want to add their wives' names to homes they own together during marriage. Again, I can't tell you how many women have asked that question about whether they're entitled to any of the family home equity that they helped buy if their name is not on the title. Never the other way around. A man has rarely asked that question. So know what is separate and know what is community and make the decision whether you're going to commingle it. That means you're going to put it into the joint account or if you're going to keep it separate. There is nothing wrong with keeping it separate. Just a heads up, and this is mostly to the female listeners. There's nothing wrong with keeping a separate account. So these are my top seven common mistakes that we make in the divorce process. 
I know this list is not an all-inclusive list, but it's a good place to start when you're beginning the divorce process and while you're going through the process. This is not an easy road because we all want what we want. And when there are two people involved who want the same thing, the court has to decide if the two of you cannot, who gets what. At the end of the day, divorce is only about dividing what you shared and making sure that both parents have access to the children. That's if they want access. It's to put the nail in the marital coffin so you can both start over with a clean slate and hopefully with a clean and fair slate. But of course, there are always people out there who are greedy and want everything for themselves, think that they were in the marriage by themselves, think they're entitled to everything that was made during the marriage and can leave their once upon a time loved one with nothing. Even things they acquired together, one person might think they did all the work and so are entitled to everything. That's when divorce becomes even more challenging, expensive, and a heavy weight on your life. Even if you so-call win, what price do you have to pay in time, money, and health to get it? Just know that you may not know who you're dealing with at the end of marriage, or at least you'll see who you're dealing with at the end of the marriage. And this list will help to protect you from making some mistakes during your divorce. At the beginning, it seems like the divorce will be amicable. Then something turns and that same person who you thought wouldn't want to see you on the street would pass you living on the street without a second glance. Divorce brings out the worst in people, but having this list of where to start will help the process move a little easier. So I'm going to end it there until the next episode, which will be part two of the common mistakes people make. So please subscribe so you won't miss it. And let me know what topics you'd like to hear more about so I can make sure that I'm addressing all of your needs and concerns. Until next time, I can be reached on Instagram at LA Divorce Coach, on Facebook at LA Divorce Coaching, and on my website, finestbennettdivorcecoach.com. Divorce Coach.com.